the challenge I think really deep cultures are facing is the potential commoditization of work. So if all work is the same and you can do it from home, there's your interactions are different. The, the facility is the same. Like all every, the, the snack tray is the one you have in your kitchen. Like there's nothing, you know, all of the things and all the, all the things that you do to make this, the space and the culture different by being together change if a, if a large number of people are somewhere else. So why not just switch jobs? That was Patagonia CHRO and Head of Shared Services, Dean Carter, with a really interesting point on the potential commoditization of work with the uh, rise of remote roles and remote jobs. I'm really excited to bring you this conversation with Dean. We get into his background, his career, and some of the really interesting work that he's been doing at Patagonia, spanning taking stances on politics to bringing your children to work. And we're going to be right back with that conversation after a quick word from our sponsor. Redefining HR, one podcast at a time. Support for the Redefining HR podcast comes from PIN. PIN is building the world's first employee-centric communications tool, enabling your employees to automatically receive helpful messages at key moments throughout their journey, from onboarding to promotions and everywhere in between. PIN helps companies battle communication overload and puts your employees in control over when and how they receive information. Go to PINHQ.com for more information. That's P-Y-N-H-Q.com. And reinvent employee communications for the distributed workplace. And now, on to the show. Hey everyone, welcome to Redefining HR Podcast. I'm your host, Lars Schmidt, and today I am really stoked to be joined by the head of HR and shared services for Patagonia, Dean Carter. Dean and I have so much to cover, so I'm going to just shut up and turn it over to him for a, a brief introduction, and then we'll get things kicked off. So, Dean, thanks so much for coming on. Why don't you give the uh, listeners a brief intro and background on you? Lars, uh, thanks. Thanks for that for that opening. I've uh, and for the opportunity to be here. I'm really stoked to have a conversation with you today. And I'm Dean Carter. I am the head of HR and shared services at Patagonia, uh, which is based in Ventura, California, which is also Chumash land. And I've uh, yeah, I've been doing that for six years now, and it's been an incredible ride. Very different than the one I had before. It was the head of HR for Sears for five years. So really two polar types of cultures and experiences. Um, but uh, I'm, 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 I'm okay with the Patagonia experience. It's good. <laughs> well, there's so much uh, in your current role I want to dig into. But before yeah. we kind of kick things off of Patagonia, you, you, know, you kind of started your career and you worked for about nine years before making the shift into HR. So what, what triggered that? What was it about you know, the, the field of HR that kind of drew you in initially? You know, so you, in the beginning of your career, I think you do a lot of process of elimination. So I, in the, in the beginning, I was actually with Procter Gamble and selling diapers to nursing homes in Louisiana. So hmm. I eliminated that as not what I wanted to do <laughs> in, in more time. And then I went to um, a really great company, Pearl Vision, which had a really strong development program. And that development program really inspired me to get into training. And yeah. so through a series of things, got into training and after, um, you know, getting deep in that and ultimately working really closely with new franchisees as they came in into training. 
And I thought, you know what? I really, I had an experience with the head of HR at, um, at Pearl Vision. There were, at the time I was young, it was the, you know, this kind of 90s and it wasn't, you know, the world wasn't the same as it was today. And there were rumors about um, uh, me, me being gay. And so I went to the, and there were rumors that I might lose my job because of that, because it was perfectly legal for that to happen at the time. And I went to the head of HR and I said, there's some rumors going around and I just want to make sure that you're really clear. Um, I'm gay. I love to work here. If that's not okay, I'm going to find a place that I can work that's okay with that. And I, yeah. I just want you to be clear. And, uh, and he said, Roy Wilson, he said, Dean, um, uh, no one's got a problem with that here. It doesn't, it's not going to impact your work or your job and whatever rumors are going on, we'll, we'll, we'll take care of it. And, uh, and I thought, you know what, that's, that's, that's what I want to do. want to be in started to navigate my career, you know, to maybe be a Roy Wilson in someone else for someone else someday. So that's, uh, and that's how I got into it. Yeah. You know, it's, it's so interesting. I think, uh, what a great early kind of stage career illustration of, of the, you know, sounds cliche, but the humanity and human resources, right. The, the, right. the ability to really, um, connect and support and understand, uh, not just work experiences, but life experiences. And, yeah. and that, uh, yeah, I mean, what a, what an interesting way to kind of have, have that exposure to a leader like that that you, you, you want to kind of follow in that footstep. The other, the other piece is I looked around what was going on in HR, even, even at that time. And I thought, wow, this is, this is such a powerful part of the company and it's so administrative and, and like there were helpful things. It was administrative and helpful, but not strategic. And I thought there is a huge opportunity in this field to really attempt to make a difference and think differently about it. And so I came from a business perspective first and then got into HR, which I think was helpful. And uh, yeah, so we wanted to influence, have some influence in this field. And, uh, uh, and I was inspired by some of the people around me too. Yeah. Well, you, you know, you kind of mentioned in your intro, the, uh, the, 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 the difference, <laughs> the stark difference between Sears and Patagonia. Yeah. So w walk me through that transition. I know you've been there for about six years. Like what was, what was that conversation like with you during the recruiting process? What, you know, what made you as somebody coming from Sears capture Patagonia's attention? And, uh, and, and just walk me through that transition. You know what? I have no idea. Um, I, <laughs> every day I feel very lucky to have been picked. You know, I, um, the, the role in Chicago and Sears was um, to some extent was in in Chicago for family and personal reasons. So it was a deadline on that, that particular job. And, um, and Sears had its own unique culture, but I, it was a really extraordinary experience. And I learned tons around analytics and how to really use data to drive performance and experiences in the, in the company. But I knew I was always gonna go to Southern California. And so had kind of been moving in that direction. And um, oddly enough, there was a bit of a kismet moment with my really good friend in Santa Barbara who said, uh, who gave me a Patagonia jacket for Christmas. We went outside at midnight and he said, look, we're going to hold hands and you are, you are going to work for Patagonia and let's put it into the universe and let's just make this happen, which was completely impossible. And, you know, a month later I got the call and, um, I'd been speaking to a couple recruiters and. And uh, he said, hey, Patagonia's got a search open. It's not public. And 
um, you know, w- would you be interested? And of course, I think, you know, what I, my answer was like, uh, yeah. yes, I accept. <laughs> and, uh, and I had, you know, just an extraordinary interview process all the way to um, Yvonne and Melinda Chenard. And I just, I, there was no adjustment. I felt like, here's what I felt like. All my life, I've been adjusting yeah. all my life to places and cultures and um, I don't know, retooling and uh, to be something in, and I, and at Patagonia, it just, I, there was no adjustment. Um, And I, I, and it's, and it's been that way. It's been just an extraordinary place. And that's, that's the experience that I want to deliver for everyone who comes into Patagonia, that it feels like finally you don't have to adjust. And um, and we do a fair share of really good work in that and a fair share of a, a lot of improvement to do too in that space. I guess a natural follow-up from that. Have you manifested anything else in your life, like this uh, this Patagonia job? That's a, that's amazingly <laughs> powerful. You have you have a gift. I'm I'm hoping that you're tapping into that in a, in a range of uh, of areas. <laughs> oh, there's 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 more to that story, but I do. <laughs> you know, whether you manifest stuff or or things manifest in your life, you know, you just you, you deal with what you get. And um, you know, even even moving to Chicago was unexpected because I took a um, I was a head of HR for Fossil for ten years and moved into, for family reasons, this talent job at Sears at first. And I just thought, okay, well, I've messed up my career, but it's the right decision for family. And I've taken a step back. And within a year, I was the head of HR at Sears. And um, it was an extraordinary experience and learned tons. And uh, so, you know, sometimes you don't get to manifest it, but if you can make the best um, of it, for me, it works. Um, and the, but, but Patagonia, we did we did use have a little kismet involved in that. <laughs> So let's talk a little bit about your role at Patagonia because it is an atypical role. Uh, you know, you you, yeah. you oversee HR and shared services, but you know, finances in your scope. Like, walk me through your uh, your current kind of scope and how it's set up. When 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 I got the offer from the the CEO Rose Mercario, and uh, who's an extraordinary person, she's actually in a rainforest right now. Um, she uh, she um. She offered that up and she said, hey, Dean, we'll be the head of HR and we're going to put a couple other things underneath you. One of them is going to be finance. And and I said, oh, wow, you know, I, I'm, I don't have a finance background. I've never managed finance. And, uh, you know, that might be marginally irresponsible. Um, <laughs> and I and she said, no, we have a great team in finance and I really want to pull pull these pieces together. And I want them to be, have a, a human and people perspective. And I just want you to lead. I don't want you to do finance. I want you to lead finance. And at the time, you know, similar conversation around legal. And I, uh, and that's what, that's what, that's why I dug deep in HR, because that's my core responsibility. And um, I just coached and helped to lead, you know, the, our team in finance and other places. So yeah, it's a highly unusual role. But you know, when you think about it, three roles end up spending a lot of time together, head of HR, head of finance, and general counsel. Like those are really the three people you end up from a business perspective, in addition to your business partners, but you end up spending a lot of time together with those three roles. And uh, it, 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 it worked it worked well in Patagonia. I don't know, we'll see how it continues to evolve. Um, you know, I think it was a, a structure that Rose was into and uh, just, we'll see how that structure evolves. So I'm imagining all listeners are familiar with Patagonia 
as a brand, um, but they're probably not as familiar with just the you know, uh, by, you know the the structure of the organization, headcount, structure of your team. So maybe before we start kind of jumping into yeah. some of your projects, if you could just map that out for us. Um, yeah, sure. We um, Patagonia in the U.S. is about two thousand people. We have another probably thousand outside the U.S. So the U.S. is our, you, you know, North America, our biggest operation. But we, the second largest is actually Japan. We have a, um, and that business has been um, there almost as long as the U.S. and a, a business based in Amsterdam across Europe and then Latin America. We've, uh, the, the structure of the company, uh, well, actually is a series of business units. Um, they're not your typical focus for a business unit. Like the name of the business unit is Ocean. Um, another name of the business unit is River. And what, what, what the, the mission of the company is to save our home planet. So the company is organized, you know, not by how much we can sell, but by how much we can save. Yeah. And so when we're talking about ocean, you know, we're talking about what are the community, communities that are most impacted by climate change along the ocean? And what do we need to do? And, and who's impacted by um, uh, the decimation of ocean health? How can we connect to those communities and what can we do to protect the ocean? And in those specific communities, you know, how can we get them gear that is you know, the least impact gear to the planet that they can participate in not just being in the ocean and playing in the ocean, but saving it too. So wetsuits and those things. Yeah. So that's a new change for us. And to so that everyone is really, really clear that we're not in the wetsuit business, we're in the saving the ocean business. We are, you know, not in the ski business, we're in the saving the snow business and saving the mountain. And um, and yeah, so that's that's the basic structure. And then all the other pieces are really similar things that a lot of companies have. The HR structure is um, aligned to a lot of those. We've got our HR business partners, which are aligned to those businesses in each group. We've got um, probably the most unique part of the structure is the performance and learning team. I have compensation reporting to that role. And that role typically reports to the head of HR and I real specifically put comp with that group. It always feels like compensation sits to the side, like it's its own big kind of thing, and it is wildly important. But I, I, I think in terms of talent, you really have to think about compensation as one of the lovers, not like the big hammer that it can yeah. be from time to time. And so I really wanted someone in the role to think about talent across the levers of learning, coaching, performance, and ultimately performance, which leads to compensation and understanding kind of this difference between skill development and its connection to pay and performance and goal achievement on an annual basis as a connection to pay. So um, that's probably the most unusual part of the structure um, is that, you know, I, I see comp as a talent function, not necessarily as an independent one. Exact comp is a little different, but um, which that reports directly to me. But anyhow, that's... Uh, those are some of the structures. And we have, you know, all the other things, payroll and um, uh, benefits support team and um, good clients typically. Yeah. yeah, that's interesting on the uh, on the comp uh, structure, but it makes a lot of sense, especially the way you kind of map it out and, and ultimately what it's supposed to drive, 
within the organization, the, the, the outcomes that it's supposed to drive. That, that's exactly it. And, you know, a lot of our um, equity inclusion work is, you know, is deep in the talent team to understand, you know, how we can help managers to make more inclusive decisions around um, promotion, certainly hiring, and then ultimately pay. And yeah. so the, this idea of what is performance, what is skill, and how that ties to pay, they're really, these are such embedded conversations. I did, I wanted them to think, I wanted them to think in a holistic way and not just kind of compass this thing that happens afterwards or separately. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I, you know, I want to, I want to jump into that. The first time I had a chance to, you know, learn from you and kind of hear you speak was at uh, LinkedIn's Talent Connect event in 2019, where uh, you were one of the keynotes. And I, the, the whole, it was a great talk. The whole talk was great, but your opening, uh, you know, kind of introduction, it, it stopped me in my tracks a little bit then. It's something I still think about today because, you know, and I'll get into why in a second, but I want to unpack it with you. You introduced yourself to the audience as not the head of HR, but the head of community. And I, you know, to me, it was, it was such a simple statement, but so profound because I think when you look at the role of a modern CHRO, CPO, whatever the title might be, you know, if, if you're not looking at how you're support, if you're not looking at your organization as a community uh, and not just your internal organization, but there's an external component to that as well, right. um, you know, you're, 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 you're being somewhat short-sighted. And so I, I, what, where, what was the origin of that framing for you? Like, when did you come to the realization that, that that was actually your role was to be head of community. You know, there's there's a couple of things that happened at Patagonia that really really um, highlighted that for me. The first is Patagonia's belief that you, know, you try to get people to bring their whole selves and and how that specifically shows up at Patagonia is in how we treat children and parents. So there, children aren't some separate thing that happen or a place you drop them off in a faraway building and then come to work. Um, right. Patagonia really sees this work and play and bringing up children as a part of all the things that are involved in people's lives. So we do have on-site childcare or a child development center, and but children are completely integrated into all things happening at Patagonia. Um, there's an attorney, I remember him coming to work and he's got his kid on his arm, puts his kid on the desk and she sits there and talks to him and he feeds her and maybe they get down on the ground and play for a moment and then he takes her to childcare. I know the names of all the children of the people that work for me because I see them almost every day. I see them at the beginning of the day and at the end of the day and I, and I realize in the past, I didn't know really the names of the children of anyone who worked for me, much less the ones who didn't work for me. I know the names of the children of lots of people at Patagonia, and I see them as parents. I see them when the kids have a meltdown and yeah. in the morning, and this parent has just dealt with the meltdown, and they're trying to do an interview, and how they're dealing with this moment. And I, you just see them as a whole person, not just the person who walked in the door and, and, and how they interact with their kids. So I began to understand, like, the nature of people, not just within work, but the context of all the other things they deal with. We yeah. have a lot of longtime people at Patagonia. And so we value what they call our, our, our emeritus group. We have Vincent Stanley, who has um, been with the company for a very long time, and he is our philosopher. 
Um, his wife, Nora Gallagher, works with our Emeritus Council. And I, people who have maybe moved on to other things, but still are highly engaged. And if I think about the life cycle of children to work, to life, to being single and parenting and, and ultimately into retirement, that that's the first part I'm thinking of. And I thought, oh my God, I'm I'm not managing the work. I'm like helping this community come together to to build a better place. We're building a better planet. And and you know, interestingly enough, I think I mentioned this in that LinkedIn piece was you know, you never know what's going to happen when you do the right thing. You know, early childhood education has always been proven to be the number one way for success for kids in future. And we've focused on yeah. And we have several people who were kids growing up in that child development center who work for the company now who are employed. So it's just like you know, the ultimate secession plan. You know, I, I wish. <laughs> um, but, the, you know, the other thing we're realizing now is community extends beyond the borders of just our building. Like we, people bring good things and not good things into them from the impacts of the community. Um, and that's really, you know, we're beginning to understand, you know, if you're, if you're a person of color and you're in the grocery store and how people treat you in that moment and you come to work that day, or maybe you have an interaction with um, police or who, and you try, you come to work, you, that has an impact on your behavior, your your demeanor, all these things. And so we've realized we have to have to take a bigger voice in our immediate communities around us to um, understand kind of the, the, the impact on the human beings outside of the four walls that we impact too. So we are working on having a bigger voice with city council and police departments um, to do more. We're not where we need to be, certainly, but we're realizing, you know, community is not just the, the four walls of the building that we're engaged and involved in. And, uh, yeah. and from the HR, we've always been great about engaging community with saving the planet, but not, not, not engaging the community with, you know, how we, you know, engage our own people. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting too, because you've, you know, you, you had onsite childcare, you know, years ago, and it's more than just childcare as you, uh, yeah. as you kind of illustrated, um, you know, you, you brought in every other Friday off, yeah. You know, early before we're kind of in this situation now where more and more companies are talking about flexible work arrangements. But how did those kind of getting into the, the you know, all things 2020, how did some of those programs that you already had in place, um, you know, or I shouldn't assume they did, did they help you make some of the adjustments that the organization had to make in response to 2020? And if so, how? Some were helpful and some, some not. The thing that was really helpful and um, and also a struggle. You know, our parents were used, used to bringing their kids to childcare and to the development center and being with their kids and then, but also not being with their kids when they, <laughs> they didn't, they could do work. And um, that was a real struggle um, because the kids, you know, like most of this, that was also part of their community. This parent community was very strong. And not having childcare because of COVID, because we want to make sure the teachers were safe and the kids were safe. And there's a lot of unknowns about how COVID was spreading between children. And we, yeah. uh, that was a really difficult moment. I think what helped is we have a head of not just childcare, but a head of family services. And 
our head of family services was in tight connection with um, all of our parents the entire time, giving information constantly around, you know, how to help your children deal with COVID, um, trying to provide resources around homeschooling, um, even just parents getting together and having conversations. So we already had an infrastructure for parent support. Um, and I think we, we did some really extraordinary things in those moments. And and also some really big challenges. I mean, I'm sure the parents really wanted childcare open sooner. <laughs> and yeah. there were other childcare places that were open. We just um, wanted to become absolutely familiar with COVID protocols, safety. And ultimately, we did do that and open it up. And I know the parents really appreciate it. But we also had, because of the relationships parents had, they, some of them even quickly form mini pods of um, childcare in different homes. So that structure yeah. really helped a lot. You know, uh, we were already doing the every other Friday off and I, you know, that was, uh, that's a benefit we can never take back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can't, you can't go backwards on something like that. No, uh... <laughs> we can't put that genie back in the bottle. Um, yeah, that was a, there, there were a lot of things that how that happened, but you know, for 2020, I think, you know, We've always had flexible scheduling and we've had people live in a lot of different places, but really been really specific that the place that we are in Ventura um, is special because of the interactions that we have together and um, childcare and seeing the kids and, you know, and, and being just being very human and we work and we live and we play together. All these things happen in Ventura just, and you know, COVID those things didn't happen. People are working in different ways. And you know, not not too unusual. We've got a lot of people who are like, I love Ventura, but I'm not, I don't surf, I'm a skier. And and we hired them because they're passionate skiers. They love the mountains and every day they're not skiing or, or boarding is is uh is a rough day. And so they would rather do work for Patagonia and do what they're doing right now and live live in the mountains. Um yeah. or live in some other, you know, beautiful place. And and be active in the communities that they typically would be because Ventura's Ventura's a surf town and the, yeah. the climbing isn't great. The skiing is terrible. And although you can go, you know, to other places like Mammoth, but it's different than living in the mountains. So we're getting, you know, more pressure from employees to be even more flexible around um, remote work. We haven't decided kind of where we are at the moment permanently. Right now, anyone can work from anywhere. <laughs> if, if you have the capability and your manager's okay with it, we have people working all over the country. How that, what happens when we return, um, you know, we're still working through that. I think we'll be, a, you know, in an environment that was already flexible, we'll be a lot more flexible, um, but we'll still preserve and keep, we're not gonna be the company that says, you know, we're not returning to work. Everyone just go find a place to work. We're going to come back to that community. We're going to eat together. We're going to break bread together. We eat organic food and, and see the kids. And so, if that's if that works for you and it works for you in Ventura, then then be a part of that experience. And we're just going to have to figure out how to bring as much of that experience as possible to people who decide, you know, I want to ski and I still want to be a part of the Patagonia mission and make a difference. Um, or, you know, I just said skiing. You know, there are other reasons. You can have family reasons. You get yeah. health reasons. There are a lot of things. I said that the probably the most surface reason, but you know, there are really human reasons. You may not be able to live in Ventura, California, um, as, 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 you know, an extraordinary place for someone who loves sun and surf. 
not yeah, everyone loves I mean, that. It's not everyone's saying. That's true. So it, it it's interesting too because it's such a uh, it's such a subjective thing. Like every employee, every individual employee is it has their own personal drivers. Um, and so especially in a climate like we're in now where so many companies are making commitments to, you know, at a minimum hybrid arrangements. Yeah, we'll do if that. not, you know, fully remote. I, I think it's a it, it's a lot to kind of you know, program's not a great word, but kind of program for as a CHRO when you're when you're trying to kind of meet people where they want to be met, but also in an environment where you have those kind of, you know, rituals and 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 you know culture built on on togetherness yeah and you have the 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 challenge i think you know really deep cultures are facing is the potential commoditization of work so you know if if all work is the same and you can do it from home you know there's your interactions are different the the facility is the same like all every the the snack tray is the one you have in your kitchen. Like there's nothing, you know, <laughs> right. all, all of the things and all the, all the things that you do to make this, the space and the culture different by being together change if a, if a large number of people are somewhere else. So why not just switch jobs from time to time? And the other challenge is just the, the real tactical question around things like pay. So if, yeah. if you, Go from a California job to a job in Bozeman. Do you do do you change your pay? Um, what if you hire someone? And, what if you don't change their pay and they're getting California pay, and someone is hired into Bozeman who wants to work for Patagonia? Do you pay them California pay or Bozeman pay? And then you have two people doing the same exact job, making different money, and you could have yeah. you could have you know equity issues. What if one's a male and one's a female, and like why is this one getting paid more and getting the California rate? This one's paying less, yeah. than the local rate. And I'm seeing, you know, everyone struggling with these questions. This is real tactical about this challenge we have. One is like the cultural impact, but just tactically pay. And um, I think you're going to get to a nationalization of of compensation. Like I think a lot, most companies, you know, make changes locally. And I think we're going to see a leveling out nationally of a lot of pay rates because of this, because it's just too complicated and you can't pay people different for the same work in the same place. And uh, I don't know, I think they're, the impact on compensation is, could be very interesting. Yeah. Well, and there's also the, the tax complexity as well in terms of, uh, you know, where somebody works, where they pay taxes, where they live. So it's a it, it's a it's a meaty, uh, thorny, multi-layered, complex issue that uh, that all you know, CHROs and CPOs are, are going through right now is they're yeah. trying to figure out what's the, what's the most fair and equitable uh, way to kind of design uh, once they've made the call that people can be remote and or and or hybrid. Yeah. So it's a. Uh, it's really interesting. You know, Patagonia, we have got to answer the question too about impact. So yeah, if you don't go into back and forth to Ventura and you're working from home, um, your impact is a lot lower. That was one of the reasons we did close every other Friday. So you reduce your carbon impact. But if you live in Bozeman and you have to fly back and forth four or five times a year, you're not really saving much on your impact because you're not driving, but you're flying, um, <sighs> you know, four or five, six times a year. So even even the considerations around carbon impact and what this means are you know, an important consideration for us. 
as we yeah. I mean it's fascinating it's a whole new layer of yeah. variables that you have to you have to consider yeah. you know one one question I'd love to get your take on you know Patagonia has has always been an organization uh, that was uh, you know based on on political views around you know climate and obviously your mission is saving the planet so you know that mission alone puts you front and center in a lot of uh, political conversations and 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 decisions, um, and you know I remember in, at Talent Connect you talked about programs from if people are if employees were uh, arrested for protesting you know climate change or or yeah. certain events like that you'd bail them out of jail which was phenomenal, <laughs> but I I think there's a lot of so you know you're in an environment that is wired to be um, a, a political organization by by nature. Uh, Going through what we experienced in 2020, whether it was uh, the the resurgence uh, conversation around social equity after George Floyd's murder and Black yeah. Lives Matter, whether it was you know for those of us in the U.S. the political discourse and toxicity that you know permeated our everyday lives, uh, you know everything that happened with the pandemic itself. Th there are a lot of uh, CHROs and CPOs that were uh, perhaps either they themselves or their organizations not typically considered, you know, quote unquote political, but now they're in this environment where you, you can't, it's very difficult to separate politics and work. Yeah. And so I'm just curious for, uh, as somebody who, who's been, you know, kind of working at the intersection of those things for years, what advice do you have for your peers who might be somewhat new to kind of navigating those waters and they want to do it thoughtfully, they want to do it with care and consideration um, what are some things they should be thinking about? That is such a good question. The, the first one for us, I do, I want to address just politics. And we try to, we're, we're not like into a, a one party or another. We yes. are in the politics of policy. And so yeah. when we're clear about the policies that we support, we don't care what side of the aisle you're on, as long as you're either for or against their, this policy, you know, we're going to lean in and we have no problem leaning into, as you know, candidates. We have publicly supported candidates who are in support of um, climate work. And as you know, we are, um, we're, we're not, we're not shy about calling out climate deniers or, um, you know, you may have, may have bought a pair of clothes recently with on the back of the tag. So <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> we're yeah. very clear about what we wanted to, exactly the behavior yep, yeah. that we wanted. So here, here are things to consider. I think first in knowing what you, you can't speak up on every single thing. And there's, there are so many good things happening in the world and so many, you know, horrible and shameful things. And you have to really go back to your mission and your values and understand what, 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 what do you stand for and what will you not stand for? And for, for us, that's a continuous question, by the way. So we're clear about our mission is to save our home planet. And there's a, there's a, you know, there's a lot packed in that statement. And so we, you know, even we continue to evaluate what we stand for and what we want. We're very clear about things we stand for around um, the protection of the environment, protection of beautiful places, and um, getting more into um, environmental justice and social justice in some of these because you, um, you, you, know, you can't protect the planet and not protect the people who are most impacted by climate change and, and have a voice for that. So we're leaning into it. But my thing is, 
Um, we're, we are not going to, there are things we're not going to speak up for because it's not in our core and we don't have a voice. You know, there was um, a recent article that came out about Patagonia and um, it was, you know, one of the things in terms of our, our voice on speaking out and, and they just said, you know what, the Patagonia has earned this voice over time. And yeah. so they can speak, make sure you've kind of earned your voice in the space and it's authentic to who you are. When you start speaking about things that aren't authentic to you, the brand, the mission, then that's where you get in trouble. From the human resources side, sometimes you make decisions in in the in, in conversations between marketing and business about and our social group around what we're going to support, and we make a loud noise out there. We have to think about the impact of lots of people are going to disagree with that at the at the frontline level. How do we arm them um, well with the responses to people who can be very either stoked and often very virulent in their responses? So you have someone who's really just trying to help someone with an order for a jacket, and the person on the other line has just seen you know something in their tag or something in the news around something we're supporting or not supporting, and they they catch the brunt of 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 these things in some very mean ways at times. So how do we prepare our customer service teams and our frontline people in the stores for a big big bold statements from Patagonia and help arm them with you know how to deal with this emotionally and specifically. So those are the two things. Don't make statements unless you've kind of prepared the organization to get ready yeah. for this because you can harm your frontline. And the second, you know, the other part if you're going to do something, be bold. Don't kind of do it. Like we've, uh, I remember um, Rose asked me to write an op-ed um, on childcare and, and I, and I wrote it kind of right at the very beginning. And she, I sent it to her and I said, did you take a look at this? And she said, um, no, does it hit hard enough? And I was like, Oh, I, I don't think I asked that question. <laughs> <laughs> so I rewrote it, hit a bit harder and, you know, it got a, fair amount of positive responses as things do in Patagonia because we're clear about where we stand. And then there was some negative stuff when I came back to her and what she thinks she goes, well, you know, you, you're not saying the right thing unless you're upsetting at least somebody. So we're, yeah. um, so we, you know, we feel real strongly about our work. We feel it's the right work. And, and if, when you feel real strongly about whatever work or their values are in your company, figure that out and uh, lean in in wild and ridiculous ways. And you can, you, you can speak up and your employees will expect, they will demand that you speak up um, for these values, which is good. They'll also demand you speak up for a lot of things that aren't within your values. And you just have to be able yeah. to say, you know, that's, that's not in, it's on our specific wheelhouse. Um, and I think that's okay too. Uh, yeah, dude, that's really good advice. I think there's a lot of, uh, you know, HR executives out there that are in that position of like trying to know where they should speak up, uh, how they should speak up, what they should lean into. And I think that guidance is really helpful. Um, let's talk about hiring. I know you're getting ready to open uh, some roles on your team, which don't come along that often. So considering uh, this is a, a PSA for my listeners right now, uh, you, you'll, you'll get a sneak preview of some roles that are coming from Patagonia that uh, may not actually be posted yet. So what are you, you going to be hiring for in the next quarter? Well, um, thank you for that. And you, we typically don't have things open. So we are opening up some roles. We have 
Uh, we're going to have a couple really strong HR business partner roles, um, both in our supporting our direct businesses and our warehouse in Reno. We have um, a role opening up. It's a combination of equity inclusion and HR, kind of putting together all the work around equity inclusion with HR and partnering with kind of the HR, the equity inclusion lead that takes care of these issues across the entire company and all types of issues, not just HR. Then there is um, a couple recruiting positions and some kind of nice entry-level sourcing positions that are opening up as well. And then we are, if, if for the more technical, we have a um, head of performance management and talent um, that is opening up reports to our head of talent and really manage the performance session and succession, performance management and succession process and how that connects in equitable ways. Keep an eye on that career site. There's a, there, there's a lot going on there. Uh, Dean, I want to close out with something new that we're doing. It's a little bit of a lightning round just to help listeners get to know you a little bit more. So I'd like for you to, uh, we'll drill through these. If you want to just keep your answer to about a sentence and uh, we'll dig in. You ready? Yeah, sure. Here we go. <laughs> All right. Uh, okay. I'm creeping on your Spotify playlist. What are the top three artists I'm going to learn that you are into? Oh, wow. Uh, Krungbao. Uh, Krungbin, excuse me. Krungbin. Um, the Cars, and Omara Portunda, who's like this Cuban jazz artist that I just absolutely love to listen to at night. Yeah. Ah, very cool. Uh, all right. Your least favorite HR buzzword. Mm. It's a classification. Like any, any acronyms, ROI, the new one is RTW, <laughs> return to work. KPIs, oh, yes. they're just exclusionary and consultancy, and um, no one knows what they mean. Like, can you tell me what that is? And so, yeah, any acronym. Got it. Fair, fair. Yeah. Uh, if you weren't in HR, what would you be doing? Um, oh, that's an easy one. I have a secret love of urban planning. I am fascinated by the how architecture and design impacts the behavior of human beings in urban situations. And I, you know, whether parks and open spaces and even the design of buildings where you can just crush a block and how it's designed. So I, yeah, I do a lot of study in that and have, you know, been involved in some you know, city work. So I, I love urban planning. Uh, well, I think the uh, the next five years as we are uh, designing what uh, what comes next is going to be a treat for you. You're going to be, uh, there's going to be a lot of interesting urban planning uh, projects coming along. Yeah, we're going to have to think differently about that. Yeah. Uh, all right, sports. So, you know, Patagonia, this feels like an obvious question, but it may not be. Surfing, skiing, snowboarding, or something else? Oh, um, you know, it is surfing, and I'm horrible at it. It's the... I'm, it's, <laughs> Are they let you work there? Is that allowed? I know. Oh, yeah. They, um, they, they're so kind. And, yeah, I'm the biggest kook on the planet, but I get out there, and I float and try to avoid um, hurting anyone else while I'm in the water, but it is, I just love it. And it's, it's always a great, a great day in the water is a bad day in the water. So it, it, now it doesn't make any difference. You're out there, you're in the waves and the sun and um, the mountains and, and, you know, everyone's just out there enjoying, enjoying, enjoying the thing. You know, if you surfed. Yeah. I, yeah. I, 70, I get 80% it. <laughs> of the time you're not surfing. You're just yeah. floating the water so and that's nice in the sun at the beach it's not a not a bad thing to do in between waves it's not bad yeah uh last question for you dean where do you find your inspiration hmm you know lately i've been finding inspiration in a couple places just asking people 
trying to find inspiration with people who aren't like me. Like just trying to find as, as different as possible and different perspectives. And I've really loved the Tennessee Coates and um, some of the yeah. work there. And um, I'm, you know, reading, reading Isabel Wilkerson's cast. And I am just fascinated by that and its impact on hierarchy. I'm not a huge fan of titles. If it were up to me, we would stop using VP, SVP, all, all that crap because it's, or junk, sorry. Yeah. Um, it, because it's useless. It's an old, old hierarchies, but you know, that's another story and cast really reinforces that. And then I really love these Instagram influencers who challenge me to think differently. Rue Map, who does Afro Outdoors or Patagonia, who is um, really talks about a lot of issues around drag and gender mm. and what that means. And, and, she, and she has some really great things. Green Girl Leah, uh, the intersection of environmentalism and social justice and has some really, really great work on that. Um, Lynn Nessifer, who's another, um, who works with, uh, who's Native American and um, works with indigenous issues and their intersection with the environment. And that's, you know, that's an interesting thing in terms of Patagonia's work where, you know, those are, those are not our lands to save. Those, yeah. are, those were stolen. And so how do we, how do we do the right thing and how do we partner um, with really great people like Lynn to make the right decisions and how we approach issues like that. So anyway, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a learner and certainly got a long way to go and understanding a lot more about what I'm not like and yeah. how to, how to well, be better uh, and understand difference. Yeah. That journey never ends. And uh, yeah. so that's uh that, that's great to continue feeding, feeding that curiosity and, and expanding it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it's great. It's been actually really good. Uh, but I think I'm, I'm glad to see a lot of people are probably in that space right now. I think so. I think so. I certainly hope so. So yeah, me too. Well, Dean, I really appreciate you making time to come on the podcast, share your, uh, your career story and give us all a little bit more of a, you know, understanding of uh, your world at Patagonia. So thanks so much. Lars, thank you so much for the invitation. It's been a great conversation. Hopefully you're in the water soon. Uh, yeah, uh, I miss, I miss that uh, a lot. So I grew up in South Florida. I lived in Southern California uh, for a while before we landed here in, uh, in Northern Virginia. So, um, yeah, we've been sheltering for a year and I have, uh, uh the beach is the first place I'm going when, uh, we're, we're on the road again. <laughs> so trust me, I miss that. All right, good. Nothing feels better than getting back in the water. All right. Have a good one, Lars. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning into this episode of Redefining HR. For more information on the podcast, past episodes, future guests, the Redefining HR book, or free resources, be sure to check out redefininghr.com. And if you dig this podcast, why don't you share it with your CEO, your executive team, and your friends to help them discover what Redefining HR is all about. If you really dig this podcast, I'd love for you to leave a review on whatever podcast delivery vehicle your ears prefer. See you next week.